0: Well, let's, uh, let's carry on in our series. We're, uh, we're doing a series called Keywords. Uh, third one in the series today. We're talking about freedom. Children are getting freedom right now as they head up to Children's Church. And, um uh, freedom's a great word. It really is. And especially on this weekend when we honor Memorial Weekend, Memorial Day, when we honor those who have perished in military service. Uh, I'm wearing this poppy today in keeping with a hundred year old tradition of wearing a, a red poppy. To commemorate soldiers who died in the First World War, a uh, Canadian uh, soldier, doctor, poet by the name of John McCrae wrote a, a poem that's famous now called In Flanders Fields. I don't know if you've heard of it. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row. And uh, an American woman by the name of Moyna Michael read that poem and was quite inspired. And so she said, I'm going to wear a red poppy. So she started this, this um, tradition of wearing a red poppy to remember the war dead. And she wore it on Memorial Day or what was then called Decoration Day, which was started in 1868. And um, and her poppy-wearing idea spread to Europe and to Canada where it continues to be a popular tradition on their Remembrance Day or what we call Veterans Day in November. So we're grateful for freedom. We're very thankful uh, for our freedom, those First Amendment freedoms of, you know, freedom of religion and of the press and of speech and of assembly. We're grateful for that. We need to be reminded on weekends like this that freedom isn't free, as we often say. And then, of course, there are lots of less significant, less sort of life and death situations of freedom. Some of you have achieved what is called financial freedom, and, uh, and you're enjoying that. Or maybe you have a, a free day off tomorrow from work. Or maybe you've got some free time this afternoon. You're going to take a nap, right? Um, our children, for Becky and I, our children have grown, and we have the, some of the freedom from some of the real hands-on parenting duties when they were younger. So we all love freedom. That's what we all want. And I'm old enough to remember the freedom of of the first cordless telephones. Remember that freedom, right? Where you could you could walk around and talk at the same time. You pull out that antenna. You know, that big old antenna. Some of you guys, like you guys, you need to know, like if there was a time when you, when you wanted to talk to somebody, you were attached to the wall, believe it or not, in your house. And then, and, then we've got, and then we got cell phones. So not only did the cordless phone let you talk to your crush without your parents being right there listening to you, hiding around the corner, trying to have a conversation like this, right? A cordless phone you could walk around. Then you got a cell phone. Those, those brick phones that are on the left... You know, the kids that are in college now, that's, that's what we were using when you were born. And they weighed like a brick. And we called them a brick phone. And, uh, and then we kind of progressed through that. And you could, you could actually drive around. Get this, you guys. There was a time when if you wanted to call a friend, okay, there was no texting. You wanted to call a friend. You had to wait until you got home to make a call. Remember that? Or there was these magical boxes called phone booths. We're at the 7-Eleven and it was hang on the wall in a little box. You go in there and you can make a call from a phone booth for a quarter. I, Adam, Adam, uh, Adam Levine singing about phone booths. And I think it's funny because nobody knows what a phone booth, uh, what a payphone is anymore. I'm on a payphone. I don't know what else, what he's singing. Alright, so freedom, right? We're just experiencing increasing levels of freedom and thanks to our technology. Well, where am I going with all this? Well, the point is we all love freedom and we're, we're looking for more of it. All the time in his letters, the Apostle Paul uh, frequently addressed spiritual slavery and spiritual freedom. His constant theme was that we're free by our faith in Jesus, free from the law, free from sin, free from judgment, free from condemnation, free to serve Jesus, free from the fear of the past or fear of the future. Freedom. It's a steady word throughout the New Testament. And the first believers uh, you know, those believers we talked about at Pentecost were on a radical journey of freedom, uh, breaking away from the way things that had always been done. They weren't breaking away out of rebellion. They weren't just sort of angry and kicking stuff off. God was leading them into a new kind of a new kind of freedom led by the spirit. Um, you know, for example, now they're associating with the very Gentiles they'd spent their life rejecting. They, they were gathering together. They were praying and, and worshiping in new ways. It was a, an era of, of freedom. The Holy Spirit brings freedom and will do his work when given the freedom to do so. So the Holy Spirit brings freedom, but we need to give freedom to the Holy Spirit to have his way and to do his work. And the coming of, of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost confirms for us, or confirmed at that time and continues today, That our salvation is not by the law, but by grace, by God's free gift of grace. As Hebrews 8.13 says, it's on the screen there. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. The covenant of law that we read about in the Old Testament is an obsolete law. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. That's what the writer of Hebrews said to us. Well, we're going to read 2 uh, Corinthians together, chapter 3, starting at verse 5. And it's not a typical scripture for for um, Pentecost Sunday, but it's a good instruction on our salvation as a covenant of the Spirit, not of the law. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to find 2 Corinthians 2, verse uh, starting at um, chapter 3, verse 5. And if you don't have a Bible, you can listen along. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 5. We're picking it up really in the middle of a paragraph there. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth. Verse 5. He says, It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of old written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses face for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. So. Paul's referring back to an Old Testament situation here, back to when the law was given through Moses at Sinai to the Israelite people. Moses would encounter with God, he'd spend time with God, and he, his face would literally glow with the glory of God. And it was too much for the people to stand. And he would wear a, a, a veil over his face, a covering over his face. Verse, um, verse 8, Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Now, verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and to this day whenever the old covenant is being read the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth and this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Verse 15, yes, even today when they read Moses' written writings their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. We thank the Lord for His Word. Let's take a seat together. I've got... Four thoughts to see if we can get through here on, on freedom from this passage. And the first is there, you see it in verses 6 through 9, that God's way of grace gives life. God's way of grace gives life to you. See, following Jesus was never meant to be burdensome. It was never meant to be a heavy burden. The law, see, the law that God gave to Israel was a perfect law. Think about the Ten Commandments, for example you know the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. If you were able to follow those Ten Commandments, if we as a society followed the Ten Commandments, we would have a perfect utopian society. It, it's an ideal law. It's a perfect law. So if everyone kept it, we would live in a, in a perfect society. But the problem is, of course, we can't keep that. It's in our nature to rebel against it. It's in our nature to sin. It's in our nature to do things our own way. So all the law can do is bring condemnation because it points out our failings, our sinfulness. God sets the standard. We can't meet it. So therefore, we face condemnation or judgment. And in verses 6 and 7 that we just read here, you know, the New Living Translation says that, you know, the old way led to death. Literally, it reads, Paul writes, The ministry of death. He calls the old law the ministry of death. How's that? How's that for an encouragement? Hey, I want to talk about the ministry of death today. But he calls the Holy Spirit the ministry of life. In in those literal terms. And that old way of death um, just shows that I'm guilty and therefore condemned. But the new covenant, the new arrangement right? The fact that Jesus died for your sin, his blood was poured out as a one-time sacrifice for all your sin, past, present, and future. That new covenant of grace brings life instead of death. God had promised this. You can read about it in Jeremiah 31. You can read about it in Ezekiel 36, that instead of the written law, God would take the law and put it on our hearts and that he would Forgive and forget all our misdeeds, all our wrongdoings, all our sin, all our misspoken words, all those bad decisions, all those things you wish you could go back and do over the promises that God will forgive and forget those things under his new covenant. And Paul is explaining here in Second Corinthians three that the only uh, that the old way just pointed out how doomed we are, while the new covenant points out how awesome God is. And the law gives death, but as he says in verse 8, the Spirit gives life. It's like that cordless phone you got back in 1991. Right? Instead of being tied down, instead of being tied down to the law, going to God to make your sacrifices, going to the temple, right? You now have the Holy Spirit present with you at all times. Guides you into truth. Helps you understand. Reminds me when you're off track. And reminds you of your righteousness in Christ. So no matter where you are or what you're doing, it's the delivery of freedom to your soul by the Holy Spirit. And it's easy to make laws for ourselves, lest we think that, well, I can't relate to that. You're talking about Old Testament laws and Jewish laws, and it doesn't apply to me at all. We make laws for ourselves all the time. Who of us hasn't made the law? I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to do a bunch of good things. That's going to make me a good Christian. That's a law. You're putting yourself under a law when you do that. And, and, and then you, you create laws like that for yourself. You put yourself under condemnation because you will fail. You won't be able to commit, keep your commitment. And even if you do keep your commitment perfectly, you're going to do so with sometimes impure motives or wrong motives. So even at a heart level, you're going to break even your own laws, let alone the laws that someone else makes for you. So that's a problem for us, right? We put ourselves under condemnation. And so instead, God invites you to enjoy the feeling of the Holy Spirit in your life so you can actually know him and not just strive to keep laws. He wants you to know him and to be led by him on a daily basis. So moving on, you see in verses 12 and 16, Paul then talks about this veil situation, right? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put the veil on. Over his face, this veil that keeps unbelievers from understanding truth. We've got a question for the married women in the room. If you're a married woman, did you wear a veil on your wedding day? How many wore a veil on your wedding day? Quite a few of you. Did you? I was there. Oh, boy, I didn't I didn't remember that. Well, the mystery of the veil, right, is supposed to keep as a bride is supposed to keep you hidden from your groom until that moment when you've said your vows and then you lift it up as though somehow you didn't know who was under there. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, you made sure the I do's were done and then it's like, oh, <gasps> right. Didn't happen to us, obviously, because I don't remember that. I'm really glad that that tradition has all but died. I think it was honestly, I think it's kind of silly, but it does get point, Paul's point across that an unbelieving person is likely to say, well, I'll believe when I can see and understand that the gospel is true. But we're told that we can't see. Right. Right. Until we believe the gospel is true. So Becky behind her veil said, I really know that it's Brian on the other side of this veil. And I believe it. I'm going to make my vows to that and lift the veil. That commitment lifted the veil of understanding. So as we've said before, point number two in your outline, that only faith in Jesus lifts the veil of misunderstanding. Only faith in Jesus lifts the veil of Misunderstanding. Right. It's, it's hard for most people to say, well, I'll believe in Jesus. People who, who don't know the Lord are, are, would struggle to say, I'll really believe in Jesus in a life changing, life giving, life transforming way. And this is where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. Jesus said this in John 16, 8. We could, let's put that on the screen, Morgan, if you don't mind. John sixteen eight says this. And when he comes, that's talking about, this is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So as a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus, your sin has already been dealt with. You were already convicted of your sin before you knew him. And the Holy Spirit's work now is to continue to remind you of your righteousness and to remind you of the coming judgment that the end of time is to come. The Holy Spirit does that work for the unbeliever of convicting of sin. I used, to believe, I used to pray for people that the veil of misunderstanding would be lifted so they could see and believe. You know, I don't pray that anymore. These, these days, I pray that they'll believe so that the veil of misunderstanding will be lifted. Otherwise, we're expecting someone to abide by a law again. It doesn't work that way. We invite someone to say, will you trust in Jesus? I don't fully understand. I know. If you'll trust him, he'll help you understand. So that it's not your flesh. It's not your smarts that figured it out. It's only him and his work. And in those old wedding ceremonies, apparently mine's an old wedding ceremony now because it's 20, almost 23 years ago. In those old wedding ceremonies, the couple were getting ready to gaze into each other's eyes. They believed that the right person, right? You believed that the right person was on the other side of that, that veil. And sure enough, there she was. They didn't want to gaze at. Each, they didn't want to just simply gaze down at the at the pastor's book of vows. They didn't want to gaze at the, the rules and the laws. They wanted to gaze at each other. That's what the Lord's inviting you to do. Not to not to gaze at the rules, not to gaze at the at the, at the regulations, but to look at Jesus. He wants to lift that veil for you, so you'll do that. Doesn't mean to say the vows don't apply but they're written in my heart. I don't, have to, I don't have to look up in a book. Now, what was I supposed to? What did I promise again? Oh, oh yeah, faithful. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to Becky. No, it's in my heart. I look at her and say, that's the woman that I'm faithful to. That's, what, that's the transformation that the Holy Spirit does in your life and your relationship to the Lord. Lift your eyes and look at Jesus. So that's where the good stuff happens. Let's carry on. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, he says, for the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Point three in your outline, the Lord is the spirit of freedom. I think the wording here is really important for us to catch. And particularly if you've struggled to really grasp or trust the role of the Holy Spirit as as fully God. Right. We talk about God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a junior partner. The Holy Spirit's not, you know, not, not, not just an, an intern for God. You've got some help here. The Holy Spirit is not God's low-level diplomat. He is the Lord. Verse 17 says, the Lord is the Spirit. It's what In, in the, the language, it's what we call the definite article. The word the is, is specifically in there to help you understand that He's, up, he's one with God the Father. You can trust Him in that. The Lord is the Spirit. And again, in verse, verse 18, He carries on. He says it again. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. Now, you think about that Pentecost day 2,000 years ago. The believers are gathered, right? And then suddenly all these dramatic events are going on. Julie read to us about that. And suddenly these new believers who had been hiding in secret in fear for their lives fearing the authorities, fearing that they'd also be arrested and crucified, tucked away, suddenly, now they're out in the streets, speaking in tongues, praising God, boldly preaching, and baptizing 3,000 people on that day. How did that level of freedom and openness take place? How did that happen, that, that, that confidence and courage, was the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in their lives? That's what happened. And I, I don't want you to be fooled by the culture's idea of, of freedom. Freedom in our culture is what we would be what we would call a lack of restraint. Right? A lack of restraint is not freedom. Doing whatever you feel like doing is not the same as freedom. Doing whatever you want is, is license, but it's not freedom. Freedom is the power to choose to not do something What you feel like doing whenever you want it. Freedom is following the way that of of life that God is leading you in, even when it's not popular, even when it's unpopular. Some of the most courageous people, right, the ones that are free to be able to say, no, thank you. Lastly, the, the freedom that we have is found in the Holy Spirit's work in your life today, you've. You've heard me talk about the the, the value of spiritual habits. okay? so I just made the point that that you want to be careful. Don't don't put yourself under regulations and laws that you're bound to bound to break and bring condemnation on yourself. At the same time, there's great value in daily, regular spiritual habits. Good disciplines like prayer and Bible reading and journaling. And I strongly encourage those and I participate in those myself. But those practices are not what transform you. I want you to hear me carefully. Reading your Bible every day will not transform you. It will not change who you are. You think about the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They knew the Bible. They knew the scriptures better than anybody. It's, it, that's not enough. Right? It's encountering the living word who is Jesus. Those good habits are just in response to the transforming work that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. It's like you're cooperating with the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Verse 18 goes on, and we could put it this way in your, your outline. The Spirit does the work of transformation. Verse 18, all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we're changed into His glorious image. On the day of Pentecost, where did that speaking in tongues come from, take place? Did it come from, the, from ourselves, from the people? No, it was a gift given by the Holy Spirit. It came from the Holy Spirit. And the people didn't work that up. They didn't kind of get themselves into a frenzy. They didn't, even, they didn't expect it. They didn't know what was happening. They were as so surprised as everybody else. Or here, who here, maybe maybe somebody's been involved in a one, or a one whatever. Who knows Galatians 5, and 23. Do you know what that is? That's the fruit of the, yeah, is it the fruit of discipline? No. Is that the fruit of the law? love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? There's always one I miss. Anyway, there's nine. All right. Is it the fruit of the flesh? The fruit of the rules? No, it's the fruit of the spirit. It's the spirit's work that brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's up to you and to me to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work so that he can do his job in our lives. But it's not my effort that changes me. Not, not in the right kind of ways. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit residing in me. He brings freedom from sin. Freedom from fear. Freedom from condemnation. But it's up to me to appropriate those freedoms. Some of you are saying, Brian, I, you talk about all this freedom, but I am like stuck. I'm stuck in, in you know bad language. I'm stuck in an addiction. Or I'm stuck... You know, in a, in, a, in a thought life, I'm, I'm just not pleased about it, or I'm stuck in, in, in whatever thing that's kind of a pattern of sinfulness or, or unhealthy patterns of, of living. And you say, I don't feel free. It's, it's our job to appropriate the freedom that God has given to you by his Holy Spirit. And so we cooperate with him. It's up to me to act on it and to believe it. It's up to me to remind myself of who I am in Christ. It's up to me to to change the way I think, to to create new pathways of, of thought so that the Spirit can change the condition of my heart. And it's a lifelong work. It's a lifelong transformation. We are being changed, but it's not complete until we meet Jesus. My question is Are you living in freedom? Would you say that you're confident in your relationship with God? Can you say that I am forgiven in Christ? I'm, for, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you say that I, I condemn neither myself nor others for their failings and shortcomings? Can you say with conviction, I'm a child of God, I'm forgiven and free in Christ? The person who is free is able to say those things. And if not, I invite you to to pursue and to seek to hunger and thirst. I was really challenged, in fact, twice on the same day and some two different things I was reading. To ask the Lord to create a hunger in you and a hunger and a thirst for him. To let him do that. We've got one song, one more song. We're going to sing. Josh, why don't you come and worship team? And as we uh, as we do that, I'm going to pray first. And and um, I don't know where you're at today. Talking about freedom, this might seem like a nice talk. You just think doesn't really apply to me. I'd love for it to apply to each of us. I'd love for us to be individuals to be. A body of people, a group of people who know what freedom is. Because, you know, where there's freedom, there's other great qualities like joy, like love, right? Like cooperation, like the ability to resolve conflict, like the ability to forgive one another. Right? Where anger disperses, we're able to be encouraging to one another. That, there's a lot of freedom in that. There's, there's freedom in, in not worrying what other people think all the time about you. Oh, how is this going to come across? How is this going to interpret it? What would people think of me? There's freedom uh, when the Holy Spirit comes. There's freedom from all those things. And He wants you to experience that freedom and joy. And if you're a person today, you can say, I just do not have freedom in my life. I'm going to invite you to just ask the Lord to bring that to you. So let's stand together as we pray. Pray, Father, I I confess that um, I feel like I'm just a a beginner. I feel like I'm in kindergarten with you, Lord, when it comes to understanding these things. But it's my desire to, to grow and to experience more of your freedom and more of the good gifts that you have through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just think how amazing it must have been on that Pentecost day when suddenly they're just... Out in the open, praising you and just being radical for you. Lord, that's kind of hard for us to relate to. And Lord, I know even in this room right now, there are many of us who at some place in our lives were saying, I don't I don't have freedom. Maybe there's a brokenness in a relationship or. You know, habits that are that are just tying you down some some from your past that you're ashamed of and you don't want anybody to know. And I just really believe the Lord wants to bring you to a place of freedom where that burden isn't on you all the time. Where you can experience, truly know that you're forgiven. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wickedness or all unrighteousness. So father that's that's my prayer for us today. Lord God that we would experience that freedom. Church as we're as we're just here in a quiet moment before the Lord, I just would invite you to bring that place in your own life or those places where you have not yet experienced freedom. Just ask the Lord to create a desire in you to to want what he has for you. Cuz sometimes we We like, we're pretty content with what it is. It's not great, but we we make do. We're scared of what God has for us. I don't invite you to say, Lord, create in me a hunger for what you want for me. So that I can be set free in all these areas of my life. As you just kind of meditate on that, maybe you're a person here, you've never given your life to Jesus. And today would be a great day to do that. You... um, You think this is kind of cool, but suddenly you're hearing some good news that God loved the world so much. He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And you're saying, I want to put my trust in Jesus today for salvation. If that's you, I just invite his heads are bowed. Please, let's respect the the person around you. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you, you're saying, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. Would you just raise your hand and give me a just just look at me and we'll pray together afterwards. Anybody like that today? And I think for the rest of us that God has a place of freedom that he want to bring you to. Lord, we just invite you to do that work in our lives. Holy Spirit, come. We desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen.